oh, you're not supposed to suck the thing. I described that. And she's like, what? I have no idea what you're talking about. And then it was like 20 minutes, 20 minutes later and she was like, I just processed what you said. Yeah, you definitely... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well... In the criminal justice system, sexually based offenses are considered especially heinous. In New York City, the dedicated detectives who investigate these vicious felonies are members of an elite squad known as the Special Victims Unit. These are their stories. Well, now we got to think of something that's not going to get me arrested that we can use as a cop. Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. Oh, my keyboard just stopped working. Huh? I'm Andrew. <laughs> Fuck. Here we are, back again for another week, another episode, another time on Beef Station. Another instance. Another instance. <laughs> we are back again for another instance of Beef Station. You Is that what? good? That's don't, not bad. Don't mind that don't one. Don't mind bit. that. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> um, so this week... We are going to be talking about another David Michaud film. We mm-hmm. talked a little bit about Animal Kingdom last week. Mr. Michaud. And so, uh, you me- you mentioned that you've been wanting to watch David Michaud's... Uh, the King. The King. That came out on Netflix in 2019. 19. So, we're going to be talking about that a bit later in the ep. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a historical drama... It's a Shakespeare adaptation. It's sort of a Shakespeare adaptation, it's sort of, sort of not. And then it's also not really... A historical adaptation? It's a bit weird. I'm keen to talk about it later. Okay. Uh, have we got anything to, to ease ourselves into the news? What do you mean? I don't know. You don't have any japes or lighthearted banter that we can that we can do oh, before? Oh, did I bank anything off about being funny? Oh, okay. So, I, <laughs> I've got something interesting. It's not funny, but um, oh. should have brought that yourself if you wanted that. Yeah. I am um, helping out with a film and I think the, yeah, like a short film that's filming in Canberra. I think the role that I'll be doing is first assistant director, which um, a lot of people would probably think is, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I might not have like, a lot of people think first assistant director, okay, you're the director's first assistant, right? So like a personal <laughs> assistant or something. That's literally not at all Idiot. what the job is. Like, you're not a personal assistant to the director. You're actually the person running the entire set. Um, if you rank all the people that need to assist the director... <laughs> I would be the first one. You'd be the first but, one on the list. Um, the Well, <laughs> this will blow your fucking dick off. Go on. In Britain, you under the first, first assistant director... First time for everything, <laughs> In Britain, <laughs> under the first assistant director, you have the second assistant director. And then right. under the second assistant director, you have the third assistant director. Right. What about okay, under well, the third? Yeah, I bet you're following me thus far. Yeah, got In it. America... Yeah. Over the ocean. Yeah. Across the pond. You have a first assistant director. Then you have a second assistant director. Now, I'll give you one guess at what the subordinate's name for that is. The second. After the second. The third assistant director. Incorrect. It is the <laughs> second, second assistant director. <laughs> That's like the fourth assistant director. Yeah. Yeah. Is it multiplicative or additive? <laughs> it's the same, but uh, not third. So, yeah, um, ridiculous. Anyway, this interesting fact is that I've been listening to, because I haven't done it before, so I'm trying to, like, upskill rapidly ahead of it. 
Um, so I've been listening to a lot of like first ideas in the business talk about stuff. And there was this one person that was giving this like instructional video on like what the responsibilities and roles yeah. are. Classic B station like, move. Want to learn anything? Watch a YouTube video about oh, it. Listen to a couple of podcasts about stuff. it. You're an expert. Absolutely. There's a reason why like a lot of film resources on YouTube are labeled as like film school or like no film school or whatever. Because um, <laughs> you learn about as much on YouTube as you would if you actually went to film school, if it's not a prestigious one. Boom. And... Um, the person was saying, and they didn't provide a stat for this, and I was, so I was trying to look it up, and I couldn't find anything. It's a very specific statistic, but it was deeply worrying. They were saying um, first assistant directors have an average life expectancy of 54. Wow. And I was like, they were talking about how stressful the job is, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> it is 30 years less than the national average? Like, that means there's a lot of first assistant directors dying at like 25. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's nuts. I, I think that has to be wrong because that would be the most insane. Like, I'm pretty sure, you know how like air traffic control is a notoriously stressful job? Like, I don't think those motherfuckers are yeah. <laughs> shaving that much off their life. You're just like giving, you're just giving like timetables to actors. It can't be yeah. that hard. Thanks for that, boy. Yeah, you're welcome. Little update, you're right. Wasn't very funny. No, I said That's it wasn't right. funny yeah, up no, top, so good. you knew what you were man. getting into. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. yep, yep. So anyway, can we do the fucking news now? Yeah, yeah. Welcome, <laughs> welcome back. Here we are. Here comes After the news. that got cut out, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was good. Thank you. You're welcome. Beef All right. Just waiting for the thing to reload. Great, cool. A uh, bit of June news now. Yeah, what is that shortened to, mate? Got a momento for that? <laughs> oh, 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 nice. It'll be juice, not a dirty word. <laughs> bit of juice. <laughs> bit of juice now. It's June news. <laughs> I'm cutting all clarification out. You are going to be the villain in this edit. <laughs> Uh, Dune to premiere at the Venice Film Festival Nice On September Oh, 3rd. you meant Dune <laughs> I literally thought you meant June Because we're in the month of June Idiot. And so I was I, And uh, to be honest, I think I wasn't really listening to what you were saying so Dune like, news, yeah, a go. bit of dues Right, there you go Yep, dues 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 Not as fun, but you know still <laughs> but safer. safer Safer <laughs> Less fun, more safe Yep that's the way that we like it. The way it I like my news. On Beef Station. <laughs> and the way I like my sex. Nice. I'm going to cut in Benny Benassi <laughs> right in there. <laughs> Dues. It's premiering finally in September and a, a bu- bumper September. right up the ass of that headline. I've got uh, another headline that Dune release date for the main... Regular people release date has been shifted three weeks. It's going to be coming out on October the 22nd. It was previously set for okay. release on October the 1st. Okay, there we go. Very, very slowly reducing these delays. I still reckon this movie's never coming out. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. But, I mean, the main factor that would have been delaying that kind of shit was um, America. And their yeah. vaccine rollout is going way better than ours. So, maybe <laughs> they'll open up movie theaters and just say... If you vaxxed, get on in here and make out with someone. Yeah, you yeah. Rascals, you. <laughs> uh, did we talk about uh, the... Uh... I'm really excited for Dune, but I also have, like, not... I've actively shielded my eyes from anything. Like, you've seen a bunch of movies with me where they've been showing the trailer beforehand, and yeah, I've yeah. literally exited the cinema every like, single time. La, 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 I've la, seen la, la. nothing from this trailer. It'll be sick, bro. So, yeah. Did we, um, looking forward to it a lot. Did we talk about the uh, Batman-Catwoman controversy... 
last where he doesn't eat puss. Yeah, yeah. Batman no, I doesn't think go down did. on anyone. Yeah, he did. Oh man! So uh, in the last few weeks since we recorded the episode, <laughs> this news story came out that um, I think it was a comic book, some sort of I adults, think so. adults. Uh, Oh my god! What's the name of the the, the the female character that we're talking about here? Catwoman. Cat, uh, Catwoman, right? Uh, the shut up. I, no, I thought it was Harley Quinn. But no, it's Catwoman. No, it's Catwoman. It? It, it, Batman would go down on Harley Quinn. No, you're right. That'd be too far. Um, there was this. There was this news story about this like adults comic book. Mm. The point is, it's not for kids. Like people have got comic books for kids. No, this is like a gritty version of this Catwoman Batman story. And in this spinoff series, there was the writers or whatever complained that DC cut out this section where Batman goes down on Catwoman. Yep. And I believe it's in the comic books, right? It's in a panel and they're adapting it or something. I think that they wouldn't, they weren't, it wasn't allowed in the comic book. Oh, okay, right. And the reasoning that DC put out when people were like, what the fuck? Because it was trending on Twitter was <laughs> that's not what heroes do. Yeah, that's heroes. very funny thing to say. Heroes don't do that. <laughs> yeah. To which I would say... That is what heroes That's do. That's right. Absolutely what heroes do. Got a couple of heroes right here. Yeah. I, saying the weird <laughs> we're on team Batman saying we're pro going down. <laughs> <laughs> whoever you are and whoever you're going down on, we're pro it. But in this case, it's Batman and Catwoman and it should be canon. If Batman wants to eat that puss's puss. That's right. Who is DC to stop? It, it? is extremely funny that the woman in question is referred to as Catwoman, I think, oh, it's, it's just, awesome. Opens up a whole bunch of... It spreads apart a bunch of different opportunities, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and you, you've had, we've had uh, all sorts of... <laughs> we've had all sorts of celebrities weigh in on this debate. Uh, Including the big man himself. Oh, maybe it was the TV show. No, you're right. Sorry, it was the TV yeah, series. Because, I, because Zack Snyder posted the panel from the comic... That's right. ...on Twitter yeah, and yeah. said, it's canon. Hell, yeah. <laughs> Which, I don't know, is that man just done with DC? Like, Zack Snyder. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, he's just like... Well, I hope not, because he can't make a decent fucking movie to save his life. Oh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, look. Hey. <laughs> yes, but also, I think it's largely not his fault mm. what's, what's bloody gone and happened over there. Yeah. So, the quote here is, um, a perfect example of what's in this third season of Harley Quinn uh, is when we had a moment where Batman was going down on Catwoman, and DC <laughs> was like, you can't do that. You absolutely cannot do that. <laughs> They said, heroes don't do that. And we said, are you saying heroes are selfish lovers? And they said, no, it's just that we sell consumer... No, no. <laughs> it's just that we sell consumer toys for heroes. It's hard to sell a toy if Batman is also going down on someone. To which I say, I, if there is an action figure of Batman and Catwoman boxed up together in a little, in a little yeah, place... Yeah, and it's got like one of those little levers where you pull it and he like bends down... <laughs> Really good stuff. I'm buying that fucking action figure. <laughs> I think it's um. I think it's uh. Here's my hot take on this, which yeah. is not very hot at all. Go very on. lukewarm take. I think it's American puritanical bullshit mm. because you have made a franchise that is nearly entirely in comic books in general are nearly entirely rooted. It's like Dragon Ball Z. It's just violence. Yeah. Like it's nearly entirely violence. And the fact that you're then like, oh, but people never have sex is yeah. just a ridiculous double standard to have. Like, how it's many? A very American you're doing like thing, a gritty yeah. reboot of this fucking universe, and you're happy to sell all of the costumes, all of the comic books. You're happy to have these like morally destroyed characters because of their who have like been, I don't know, finally held accountable for their actions or whatever. Yeah. But then, yeah, it's like, oh, but um, if a 12 year old learns that, you know, 
what cunnilingus is, then their brain is going to explode. Like, it's fucking stupid. It Especially in a show that's made for adults, ostensibly, right? Like, you're not... If, if it's made for adults and you're worried about the fucking action figures, I think it's like showing your hand a little bit of like, no, because that stops yeah. us from being able to wring every single dollar of excess surplus out of it. So <laughs> we're just not going to take the risk. It's very annoying. Yeah, it's, it's annoying. And you're right. If, I mean, I don't care about DC on- shit at no, no, all. The honest answer is that it's this dumb American puritanical yeah, bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Um, Ke- so. <laughs> Kevin Smith has weighed in on this. Great. I haven't really seen Kevin Smith's uh, movies, but I like, I like shit that he says sure. about movies. Um, Quote, that's what a hero does. A hero eats your pussy before you do anything, before you even see his dick. And in Batman's case, that takes a long time because he's a layered character. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and taking off all that armor would, I'm assuming, like take a while. He might even need, maybe he needs someone else. Imagine that. Imagine Robin yeah. helping him to disrobe. <laughs> Kevin Smith says he take, he justifies his take as someone who, who's been reading Batman his whole life and was given stewardship once or twice. Amongst his writing credits is a limited comic book series uh, called Batman Cacophony, which ran in those years. He said it will be it would track for the character. He's great at everything. He studied everything. He went all around <laughs> the world. He studied everything. <laughs> he, said, he went all around the world. You telling me he'd leave that off his list? <laughs> <laughs> He studied eating puss with the ninjas yeah, in the Himalayas. Yeah, Ghul taught him two things, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> good shit. Um, yeah, this was good on Twitter for about a day. And okay. then it became yeah. very rapidly absolutely insufferable. Yeah. But yeah. Well, there you go. Well, that, that's the benefit of doing this pod once every few weeks, is that we get the best of these things. Yeah, we've caught you up. I think that might be the major news story this week. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there's, there's this big film, a, a prop, Hollywood prop auction that's happening soon, a prop... Proction. No, no, who am I kidding? No. Yeah. Proction. Proction. It's not great. That's not. No, you're right. A, pro- a prop auction. It feels like there's something there, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it should be. It's the yeah. P leading into the C C T. Proction. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not. Sorry, listeners, I apologize. Yeah. Um, Indiana, iconic Indiana Jones fedora expected to sell for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars at auction. Great. There's this big Hollywood prop auction, uh, where a whole bunch of really famous and rare props from famous movies are being auctioned and the star attraction is one of the fedoras that Harrison Ford wore in the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom movie. Okay. I reckon, I say one of, this article says it's the one he wore. I'm sure there were fucking heaps of them. Probably. It's very rare that uh, makeup would be doing I reckon that's going to go for fucking heaps more than a quarter of a million dollars, dude. It's it's Indiana Jones's hat. I know, but it is just a fucking hat. Yeah, I don't know. Other If it was like his whip... Definitely. Oh, I think this is way better. I think the hat's way better than the whip. No, because you're never wearing it, right? Like never using the whip. Yeah, but then a whip's a cooler thing to be sitting on your shelf than a fucking fedora where you can point it and be like, see that? I'd rather the whip. I'll have this. This is my pet annoyance is that what you're thinking is a fedora is actually a trilby. No, no, yeah, I know. It's a fedora. Yeah, yeah. Fedoras. Here's where you're wrong. Fedoras are cool. Mm. Indiana Jones wears a fedora, and you can get one for a quarter of a million dollars. Okay, other things, there, other things that are going to be at this auction. I feel uh, I need to remind you that you're being recorded right now. Yeah, so. yeah. Other, other things that are no, I'm right. The I internet, think the, the internet hat is, not, is a trilby. The, uh, no, I know, but also the problem is not the problem is people thinking that they look like um, Dick Tracy and they f- look like a school shooter. <laughs> the problem's not the hat. <laughs> um, it's one other, of those things where a hot person can wear it and you're like, yeah, they look good. And then it's like, oh, they look good because they're hot, not because <laughs> the fucking outfit's doing much work for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, other other uh, big items in this auction are Harry Potter's glasses from Deathly Hallows Part 2. 
Nice. And one of Harry Potter's wands from Deathly Hallows Part 1. Okay. Uh, it's supposed to be like, is this... Because that's Warner Brothers, right? So it's not maybe, even maybe. like... And the... Dude, and the and the prop lightsabers that Obi-Wan and Anakin used for their duel in Revenge of the Sith. Now, see, That's why the fuck it. is Harrison Ford's fedora selling for more than that shit? Because, like, those Star Wars nerds, they care well, about that estimates. type of stuff. These are estimates. Yeah, but how yeah. much are those things going for? Those but, lightsabers are going for. Yeah, but, I mean, Star, if, if it was shit from the original trilogy... Sure, True, it's, what did you say, Phantom Menace? No, no, this is... Revenge Empire, of the Sith. Uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith, yeah. Okay. Here's one. Carrie Fisher's annotated fifth draft script for The Empire Strikes Back. Now, from, like, there would be some screenwriters in Hollywood that would be fucking fiending for that. that well, would I, be I suppose, cool. like, it'd be, like, her script with her notes on it. Yeah, but Because she didn't write it. Yeah, She's, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I can't find much up here, much much else on this list that is from movies that we care about. Mm. But there's stuff from Saw, stuff from uh, one of those Jason Voorhees horror movie hockey masks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Terminator's biker costume and makeup effects head from Terminator 2 Judgment Day. That is from T2. That's yeah. so sick. That's awesome. That Heaps of crazy cool. shit. There's some Star Trek stuff in here. There's some I Dream of Genie stuff in here. Nice. Big auction. That is not, huge. Not, not as much indie cred as that... Uh, A24. A24 auction that we were talking about a little while ago, but that, that's supposed to be happening sort of any time now, so I'm keen to see it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What's that? Is there a place people can go to check the prices and uh, shit? It's called... Uh, well, it's it's a Los Angeles and London-based prop store, which is auctioning off more than thirteen hundred items as part of their forthcoming entertainment memorabilia live auction. Okay, there you go. So no, some very so generic that. titles, but there you go. I reckon that Indiana Jones hat is going to go for a stupid amount of money. Mm. Uh, I think I'm, I think I'm almost done, man. I'll do. I think that's probably all I've got. Last one here. James Cameron refused to let studio trim Avatar set piece because it had no plot value. <laughs> James Cameron is the latest addition to the Masterclass family and, and uh, Slash film has a great rundown of highlights from the Avatar and, directors, uh, and Titanic director's three-hour and 20-minute filmmaking course. He's done 15 videos in total. Yep. Uh, during a course... I'm reading straight from IndieWire, so sorry, IndieWire. During a course on crafting the, perf- uh, the perfect movie set piece... A film within a film, the director says. Cameron reveals that there was some studio pushback against the Mountain Banshee aerial sequence in Avatar because it did not serve a purpose on the main storyline. The scene in question finds protagonist Jake Sully learning to ride the eponymous winged creature and taking the Banshee out for a ride. There are a lot of rules and advisories about why you put you why you put things in movies and the that they should all serve a purpose, Cameron says in Masterclass. Except they don't. Sometimes it should just be something you want to see as a filmmaker, and sometimes the only way to see it is to show it. I'm um, actually, I actually don't hate that. I'm totally on his side about this. That was this. a cool scene. Like, <laughs> I think, um, I think Funny the headline, fact that... Got to give it to me. Funny headline. It is, yeah. And, and I think like uh, sometimes there are some extremely self-indulgent filmmakers where they're totally correct. Um, one yeah. of the better examples that comes to mind is gone from my head i can't fucking remember there's like a particular director where it's just like oh christ this probably shouldn't have been in there um i mean i imagine tarantino does that a lot because he does a lot of like experiencey vibey type movies yeah i think some people said that about martin scorsese but i'm not sure i agree and like irishman is his longest one and i don't think that needed to be trimmed down but well, I, I suppose um, like- but like there's a lot of self-indulgent filmmakers and and the studio is right to be like pointing at that and saying like what does this do what's the point of this yeah. but i think it's yeah, any, a very valid argument to turn around and be like, look, 
in a David Lynchian kind of style, this achieves something beyond like on the page plot. Yeah. It achieves the a, a reinforcement of the tone of the film, or it's a triumphant moment, or it can for... give you like something to relate to empathetically. I mean, exactly. The, so it's the reasoning development, that, right? Yeah. I want, to be honest, I picked this headline because I thought it was a funny headline, and I was going to be laughing at James Cameron, but I totally agree with him. It yeah. says here, uh, the bottom line is that Cameron just wanted to show Jake riding a banshee to give the audience the visceral experience of what flying a mountain banshee would be like, regardless if it had anything to do with the main plot. Um, yeah, and they're right. It doesn't yeah. necessarily like. So it actually does have something to do with the movie because it gives you this idea of like what the character was like. I don't know. Funny, yeah, well, funny headline, it, but actually, fuck you, IndieWire. What a twist! Yeah, yeah, yeah. There really didn't think I was going to be coming down on. Uh, uh, oh well, you ca- can't James blame IndieWire for that. Don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> you clicked on it, idiot. There you go. <laughs> well, I really feel like an idiot for not reading out this Jerry Seinfeld to direct, produce, and star in Pop Tart origin story movie for Netflix. <laughs> Ooh, no, that right. hurt. I, I, I went with the I went, I went with the James Cameron the the James Cameron story. So we're never going to be able to hear about Jerry Seinfeld's Pop Tart movie. We're never going to be able to hear that production on the breakfast based project is set to start next spring. Great <laughs> breakfast based project. Speaking of breakfast based, shoot projects, me in the fucking head. By the way, that's <laughs> that's one of the worst headlines I've ever heard in my entire life. How old How old are Pop Tarts? They're more than 17. I don't fucking know. Yeah, probably pretty old. I'm surprised he wants to work on it then. Yeah. Um, all right, we're trying to kick you a bit of, bit of beef and salt pleasure then, boy. Mm. Pleasure. Business. 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 Pleasure. Big for some pleasure, of course, the segment where every week we dedicate a significant portion of the episode to the official movie of to be discussed. The headline. The headliner, yep. but you know, also we like to. You know, we've had a few weeks off. We like to. We like to dabble in a bit of uh, a bit of pleasure, bar, like bit to, of pleasure. We like activities. to fuck around. We like to fuck around and watch movies that we want to watch. Yeah, like to fuck around and have fun for I've our own said that. pleasure, rather than for our own business. That's for us. So that's, that's what this segment's for. Movies that's that just we just for watch for that's us in our off time. That's just for us. But we'll share it with you. Oh yeah, if you but want to hear about it, we'll talk about it. That's right. I'll talk about it. But it's not for you. No, and it's not for the pod. No. That's for us. So don't listen. Skip ahead twenty minutes. But yeah. we're going to talk about. That's it. right. I uh, know. So I um I I got something I, I talked about. Boy, I, <laughs> I got something I want to say. <laughs> Where's that from? That's I think that's Pacino in something, but I can't. Maybe Scarface. Does he say that? <laughs> this is just for you. You just like. I don't know, you just sparked some memory that just immediately disappeared as soon as it happened. I And I just, I don't know. This is, don't know this is just something for you and me, but in that middle ditch and Swartz thing where it's like, I got something mean to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once um, again, check out middle ditch and Schwartz. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I got something to talk about. I was listening to uh, Mark Homer's podcast uh, and they did like a countdown of... Uh, their favorite time travel, time warpy kind of movies. Yep. Inspired by Tenet. And the young Mark Como does a series of podcasts with this young guy, Jack Howard, who does like YouTube film review stuff. And Jack Howard is like, this is my favorite genre of movie. 
these like time warpy kind of time twisty time travelly kind of movies. And then Mark Comer as sucks about the Tenet. <laughs> yeah, well, he really likes Tenet. Yeah, uh, but like as they went through the discussion, uh, Jack, the, the stuff that Jack was saying about why he liked time travel movies, which I'm not going to be able to summarize properly here, reminded Mark of the same reason why he likes. Uh, horror movies mm. and I think Mark Kermode has like a PhD in horror movies did you know that? <laughs> no I'm I I'm pretty didn't. sure he does in any case Mark Kermode is a freak for ghost stories and he's this British film reviewer Andrew and I got a bit of a pet thing for him but they did a follow up I find episode. myself frequently disagreeing with this man probably because he's British yeah, probably, but I mean, I, I think he's I think he's interesting, and I like hearing what he. I, I like his long form stuff on these podcasts more than I like yeah. his little YouTube things. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so they did a uh, a follow up episode where Mark talked about all his favorite ghost stories. Okay, and there were lots of really weird old pics from like the fifties and sixties and seventies that I'd never really seen. So there was like obvious stuff. Uh, Invisible man. Uh, no, literally like a spooky ghost story type stuff. Okay. And so I watched The Haunting, which is a 1963 ghost story based on The Haunting of Hill House. Oh, okay. Is that a book? It's a book. And so oh, it's... Um, obviously recently made into a series, I think, right? Haunting Yeah, so it's recently made into a series. And then I think yeah. there was a Liam Neeson movie like 20 years ago. But this Taken. is considered to be like... <laughs> where he no? plays this... <laughs> I'm going to steal your joke and be like, where he plays this like warrior priest guy with a big green laser sword. Great. Yep. Yep. Really good. But I realized that was just the joke you did to me. And that would not be fair. It was. Um, yeah, no. So I watched the the haunting because Mark Kermode said it was like the the godfather of all ghosts, ghost movies. Mm-hmm. And I would say that in the same way as you watch it, I don't think it was particularly scary yeah, like in Nostra a jump scare Arty. kind of way. But it had this tremendous feeling of like tension, oh, and okay. it really felt quite spooky. Mm. And I was googling this later, and there's actually like a literary slash uh, filmic distinction between terror and horror. Mm. Horror is apparently like even within like gothic horror and like all the way to like Mary Shelley Frankenstein Frankenstein type stuff. Horror was considered to be like the feeling you get. And I read this a little while ago, so I'm, I'm not. I might be misremembering. But it's like the feeling you get in the moment where you're surprised and you see something horrific, whereas terror was to be considered that eerie feeling you get when you're in suspense of something horrific about right, to before happen. Before it happens, yeah. Which seems like a dumb distinction, but no, I can I, totally yeah, I get. get I totally see that distinction. And then when someone says, "I'm going for terror rather than horror," mm. I can sort of understand. Why the movie is the way it is? Yeah, I mean, I kind of see the distinction as like so. Something like Saw is like a, you know, it's under not that a, definition. It's not a more horror, horror movie, but yeah, exactly. When you, it's like, oh god, I don't want to see like someone's guts falling out of their head or some shit. Yeah, yeah. But like the tension beforehand is something much more like your um, Ari Aster's or like your Conjuring or whatever. I suppose so. I, the I, Wailing, yeah. not Conjuring. Sorry, The Wailing. I haven't seen those, but yeah, sure. I mean, this movie was cool. I thought it was worth watching. It's it's like a 1963 fucking black and white ghost movie about a haunted house. Okay, but it was cool, man. Mm. It was um, lots of like weird camera warpy type effects, and there was lots of um, self reflexive stuff with the characters. It's a, a, a bit of a spoiler, but it's 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 basically about this scientist that wants to study this haunted house, and he brings like four 
strangers that he puts basically with like newspaper ads that for like oh, come spend a week in this haunted house with me and back in the 60s because they literally didn't have anything yeah. to do they were like all right oh, fucking all right so and these people like uh, are driven mad by what's happening in this house it's sick it's kind of I, I realize now that i've launched into volunteering information that's feel that i'm not doing a very good job of describing it but uh if you want to watch like a like a dark spooky chilling kind of ghost story and you're up for an old movie that's Maybe a bit camp sometimes. Mm. Definitely worth watching. It's cool. It says, numerous devices and tricks were used in the filming. Wise used a 30mm anamorphic wide-angle lens Panavision camera that was not technically ready for use and caused distortions. It was only given to Wise in the condition that he signed a memorandum in which he acknowledged that the lens was imperfect. Wise and cinematographer Davis Bolton planned sequences that kept the camera moving, utilizing low-angle takes and incorporating unusual pans and tracking shots. So there you go. This feels like one of those things where you might be able to see... um, like the first time that really happened in films, you know, when you watch films and you're like, this feels like it's yeah. um, unrefined, but yeah. it's actually like, this was the thing where it spawned the thing that you're now familiar with. Yeah. It seems like maybe this would be one of those, but for the terror. Yeah. Kind of I think it was, it was awesome at building suspense, man. There's lots of like, uh, yeah, very, very suspenseful moments that are def- definitely worth watching. Okay. So that was The Haunting. Yeah, 1963 one. Robert Wise. Robert Wise. I enjoyed it. Definitely worth watching. I had to pay like five dollars to rent it. Uh nah. No, I did. <laughs> did you, have you got something? Yeah. Um. I was all scared up to talk about that, and I feel like I sort of fucked it a bit. But no, definitely, no, definitely worth. Sounds watching. interesting. Yeah. Um. I was listening to an episode of a podcast from a while back, um, Chapo, that uh, they talked about. A film that I kind of forgot that I was ever interested in seeing, but that I was because I'd seen the poster, I'd seen excerpts from it a lot, which was uh, Equilibrium. Now, okay. I didn't watch Equilibrium. <laughs> Great. But, um, so, that was 2002. But it's when it's fun when you listen to an episode of a podcast where, and I particularly like the way that these guys approach this podcast because they take you, if it's like a bad movie, they do a lot of like conservative produced cinema and so they'll take you <laughs> through the entire plot of the film. Yeah. And it's great because they're making fun of it but it saves you actually having to watch the film because they've taken you through the plot. Yeah. Um, this isn't that kind of film but um, they mentioned uh, another film that was also particularly like they they described it as like particularly insane which is law abiding citizen which is right. a movie directed by f gary gray one of the most um one of the strangest names in hollywood in my opinion f gary gray very weird name um but he directed uh the remake of the italian job <laughs> oh god he directed the fate of the furious that's fast furious 8 um he did Men in Black International, which was notoriously terrible. He did the Saints Row film, or it's, I think it's slated, but it hasn't come Lots out. Lots of weird sequels Just and shitty weird fucking shit. He also did Straight Out of Compton, which I think is renowned for being very good. The 2015 yeah. um, story of the NWA. So, like, a really checkered... <laughs> Directing history, I guess. Yeah. Um, maybe he's just one of those like working directors that kind of signs on a project. Because I wouldn't say... Maybe none of those are like poorly directed. Some of them have like terrible storylines or yeah. whatever. But, um, okay, yeah. so what the fuck is this? Okay, this so crime thriller from 2009. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> Why'd you watch this? Because the guys on Chapo mentioned that it was insane. And usually when they say that, if you watch it with like a political reading, you get a real insight into like some psycho that's being like... Um, 
oh, mercy or like revenge killing is good. Right, okay. And so I thought it might have an interesting perspective like that. Got it. I regret to inform you that like it I didn't really pick up on anything. Maybe someone who's like really well versed in political theory would like, be like, you know this is why this for. is particularly insane. It was a strange movie, but I'd I'd heard about it for such a long time. I feel like I watched it and I was just kind of like, Yeah, okay. Like you were expecting to be able to Feels hate like, like a, yeah, watch or it something as a silly, dumb, really standing out. Exactly. Yeah, so okay. yeah, the Letterbox summary is a frustrated man decides to take justice into his own hands after a plea bargain sets one of his family's killers free. He targets not only the killer, but also the district attorney and others involved in the deal. Right. Um, it was very strange because I'm going to fucking spoil this 2009 movie. I don't think it's particularly fantastic, so I'm not going to say it's like don't save yourself for it or anything. <laughs> um, so the the, the storyline is like, it reminded me a lot of Seven. Right. Um. But it's not as interesting as that. So, <laughs> Gerard Butler plays this guy called Clyde Shelton. And he's the guy whose family gets murdered by these two guys and one of them gets off. Okay. And then he goes on this um, he goes on this path of revenge where he's like... Actually, I'm just making connections in my head now to another film that we saw recently. Um, he goes on this like path of revenge where you're not really sure who's doing it at first and then it, it's revealed that like yeah there's connections well, and he's beat up four russian guys on a bus well <laughs> interestingly enough so yeah he, he and he's shown to be like this um this like basically very efficient effective um he, he's there's a 10-year gap between when his family's killer is released and when the killer is um like i think the killer is executed and the execution goes wrong and they find someone's tampered with the chemicals. And I can't remember if that happens at the start or the end of the 10-year gap. But there's a 10-year gap in whatever. And so this man has had a long time to plan his his vigilante justice, I guess. Great. And so um, Jamie Foxx is this prosecutor who let him go but he's also like a detective. It's I wasn't... <laughs> like a district attorney, okay, but... Um, yeah, so I wasn't sure, like, the, the roles that people had in the movie were very strange. Right. So... You needed a scoping document for this movie. Yeah, and the main <laughs> guy... Basically, the main guy does, like, a Kevin Spacey-style from Seven yeah. thing where he, like, um, decides to enact righteous justice and um, plots these elaborate things where he sort of... It, he it's all, it, it reminded me of Saw where it was like, um, you've sinned and now you've got to solve... like. Um, succeed in this task to is make that, sure like, that people live. Is like grotesque and extravagant as it is in those movies? No, it's much more... I, I don't mind that. It's much more early 2000s action like movie that. than it is Saw. Yeah. It's like cars blowing up and stuff. It's not like... Oh. It's not like locked in a dungeon kind of basement type of thing, which oh. I think made it less interesting because it, it, it just felt very generic. Yeah, you, you like fucked up basement shit. I like films that I feel have <laughs> a really strong personality and I feel like this film didn't have a very strong personality. The exception is like, okay, Jamie Foxx is great. Gerard Butler, who you probably don't know when I mention his name. Yeah, he's, no, he's the guy from uh, 300. Yes, well done. I didn't. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to name him, but it, it, he is. He's, he played the main guy in 300. Yeah. Um, he's very good. He plays like quite a soft, spoken, but very brutal character yeah. as the main bad guy. And so... Um, <laughs> That was quite good. Like, yeah, it seemed competently made and stuff, but it was just a weird film where I was, I wasn't really sure. <sighs> it was, I wasn't sure who to empathize with, I guess. And like, you're sort of supposed to empathize with Jamie Foxx, but um, it has this respect for like the court and due process and stuff where that right. is kind of like, it's like, 
right at the start, the this Gerard Butler's character is like, but the system is broken. You let um like you you know you let my this guy did a plea bargain. He's very clearly lying. So the system yeah, has yeah. failed me. And then based on the point that the system has failed him, he's the villain for the rest of the movie. And so it was like, well, who do I side with here? Because like Jamie Foxx was just like, yeah, I kind of just did what I had to. And that's the way the system works. And so you're not particularly satisfied with that either. I guess it was just, it was very morally gray, but not in an interesting way to me. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I well, yeah, I'll tell you what, fine. if you want to watch a movie like that, you got to watch that fucking movie where Hugh Jackman tortures that guy in a bathroom. Prisoners. Prisoners. That's a yeah, good movie. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I can kind of see, I don't know if this was, again, one of what I was just talking about, but this was one of the first mainstream movies to be executing stuff like that. 2009, I feel like Saw was before this. Yeah. I feel like Seven was before this. I think it it just feels like, it felt like if Saw was Mission Impossible, or like if Seven was <laughs> Mission Impossible. Like the most dumb white guy yeah, fucking it, like, it kind of was. Sick if, like if Saw was Mission Impossible. Yeah. Sounds like this was just fine. Yeah. It was just fine, and there was a lot of like, yeah, I don't know, like, people, like, being cool for outsmarting the guy that's trying to take revenge or some shit. And I was just like, yeah, whatever, but I don't really care about yeah. either person's success in this story. Yeah, right. So, it wasn't fantastic. I probably talked about it for way longer than it really deserves, but... Yeah, a bit um, of a stinker of a... Be- a bit of a stinker of a fucking... Be- yeah, I think we both kind of week. fucked it. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, well. No, thanks on. for that, boy. <laughs> Sounds like I don't need to worry about that. I reckon, yeah, definitely. I'll tell it. you what. I rewatched uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, Wes Anderson's 2014 movie, recently, and that movie absolutely fucking slaps. Easily one of my favorite movies of all time. I've seen it about five times. It's great every single time. Um, that's Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's fucking great. I did watch. <laughs> sorry, The Mitchells versus the Machines, which <laughs> which I will just talk about briefly. I forgot to put it in my letterbox <laughs> thing, and that's the only way that I have any memories. So, um. Look, How yeah, is that? Everyone's been telling it. me it's to watch this fucking movie. Absolutely rave reviews. It's quite good, but um, I mean, yeah, it was it was quite good. It's got a very interesting style, but it didn't feel like um, really, really, really uh, unique as a yeah. kids' film. I reckoned. So I've watched um, both Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs films recently as well. Yeah, my um, partner and I have been going on like a kids' movie spree. Fuck yeah! Um, I think both of those are better than. This, but this is this definitely feels slightly more modernized. Yeah, um, right. the main character is very cool. It's nice. I feel like each person in the family has like a very unique and quite modern feeling uh, development to them. Um, is it a good movie for adults if you're not watching it with yes. kids? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Okay. It's worth your time. I think it's just been a little bit overhyped. Yeah, a well, little bit overhyped. I feel like every single time I get this conversation, it's with a Pixar movie. And I put off watching it for ages and then watch it and think, oh, that was great. I wish I watched that. The storyline of this was not up to the standard that I find Pixar movies generally have. This was okay. like an eight out of 10 because yeah. of its looks, soundtrack, some of the humor. Some of the yeah. humor was a little bit not to my taste. Right. But, and not in like, a, it just in a little bit of a, they, they fly now kind of thing. Not much of it. But right, there were a couple of lines that just didn't land very well. The dad character Joss is Wee's like just waiting to be rolling in the aisles. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Okay, right. um, the uh, so I think Danny McBride plays the dad, and he is very funny and endearing. Right, um, the main character is just a great like main character. Um, Katie, I think her name is. Yeah. So who would you put this on? Would you put this the Mitchell and Machines? Is this like a cute? Night on the couch with your partner kind of thing? Or is this like a party movie? Or what is this? Or is this- uh, no, I wouldn't say 
party movie. It's not not in with your partner if you're just feeling like comfort food. The, okay. the animation style is fantastic. I think um, it's the second most impressive animation style I've seen recently compared to um, the Spider-Man uh, into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, yeah. I think that had more personality to it, This, but this is like three-dimensional, so it's yeah, going cool. for a different thing. Um, but... Yeah, it was. I mean, it was. It was quite good. It was oh, quite cool. good. It's well, like, like it's got four on Letterbox, so like an eight <laughs> out of ten is pretty much spot on where this is. It's very competently made. Um, Everyone that I've heard talk about it on podcast and in real life have have, have have loved it. I was kind of expecting it to be like a nine nine point five. You right. know, like what like better than or like I as good as a Pixar movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, that's true. And like I haven't yeah. seen the latest Pixar movie, but I'd expect it's just. The next tier down from oh, yeah, a Pixar shit. film. There is another Pixar movie out There as well. is, yeah. So I, I think it's the next tier down from a Pixar film, but it's worth your time if you enjoy this kind of movies, definitely. Yeah, and there's right. and it's still got a lot of a lot of stuff going for it. It's it's very cool. Have you seen Soul? No, I haven't. I haven't seen Soul or I think the latest one. Yeah. Well see, I really liked Soul, the one about uh, where Jamie Foxx is a like a jazz teacher. Mm. And I was putting off watching that for ages because I was like, Oh, it's a kid's movie. And every single time I said it before. Every single time someone recommends a Pixar movie to me, I eventually get around to watching it and really like it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm an idiot. I should have watched this earlier. Right. But there's no reason why I feel like that every single time I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't really want to watch it. Yeah, because so, they are quite good. This yeah. Had, so so that, this sounds like the same thing. I'll probably go in. I'll probably the hook it. for this is like, it's, it's kind of interesting in the way that it handles like technology because it's like the villain is basically um, voiced by Olivia Coleman is basically like, what if Alexa turned evil and controlled an army of robots yeah so you know it's like okay this is a very 2021 villain yeah um but it's also like definitely at its core a kid's movie but this i would say it lacks the really funny stuff for adults that a pixar movie tends to have yeah where you really think like fuck that's very clever that's a really clever funny joke but the performances are good enough um the comedy comes from the performances, I think, and, and so those are all quite good. Um, the one of my main things with it is the dad character at the start feels, and this is probably the way that the main character is meant to feel, but like I feel like, um, so the dad character is like really overbearing and doesn't want to let his daughter go. Yeah, he sounds cool, which is pretty classic, right? But then he was so overbearing and did so much damage that I was like fuck this guy <laughs> i couldn't there was no like both sides even in the yeah, sympathetic yeah. moments i was like yeah but like <laughs> i barely even i think your daughter's just better off like leaving you behind man yeah yeah you don't get a pass <laughs> yeah it's like you've fuck. had chances to learn and you haven't and then like by the end obviously like the narrative has changed a little bit but i feel like they almost turn you against him too much at the start <laughs> yeah <sick. laughs> which was interesting but yeah um, he's like very easy to resent yeah, yeah. right uh, is so that, yeah, that, that that's it, it for so me. We got, that's it. Don't have any other hidden nugs of no, actually I, I interesting totally movies. No, or oh, me too. I feel like um, I feel like I just watch heaps of like bullshit TV. So I don't have much movies. To watch. <laughs> yeah. I watch heaps of episodes of Grand Designs. I tell you what, I did pick up though. I'm looking at the Blu-ray of Heat over there on the uh, on the shelf, Ooh. and I really got to fucking watch that movie again. We should talk about that on the podcast. Oh, three, and I three also picked ago. up. Um, I also picked up another Michael Mann movie. Um, Miami Vice. Yeah, right. And another Michael Mann movie. But cool. yeah. So anyway, maybe some maybe some man in the pipeline. Stay tuned for Andrew's Blu-ray corner next week. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a there's a segment name there, but I can't remember what it is. Something to do with men. <laughs> I don't know. Something to do with men. Something to do with men. Michael the king. Mann. Shut up. The king. Speaking of men, the king. <laughs> the king's a man always. That's yeah, the rule. In general, must be. 
Do you feel a sense of achievement? In what regard? In any regard. Do you? A new chapter of my life has begun. Already I can feel the weight of this crown I wear. I've been forced to rely upon the counsel of men whose loyalty I question every waking moment. I need men around me I can trust. I'm here because you are my friend. King has no friends. King has only followers and foe. But I will come with you. David Michaud is an Australian director, which I had kind of forgotten, even though obviously he did Animal Kingdom. I forgot that he was Australian until I was watching like uh, interviews with him talking about this movie. And it was like Joel Edgerton, an Aussie guy, and David Michaud, an Aussie guy, talking about a Henry V movie that they co-wrote together. Yeah. Starring so it's cool. more Australians. Yeah. Kind of cool to know that like an Australian director can do this and with his big budget, it looks like a Game of Thrones ass, medieval ass movie. Yeah, so, no, we should come back to that because I think the release date of this film heavily impacted people's perceptions of it. Y- yeah, okay. Um, so th- I don't know much about that. So the bit, the bit that I want to talk about first that I think you were sort of uh, mentioning a bit before is that so this is this is the king. It is the story of Henry V, the obviously the real life English king that was around in the early 1400s that famously won at the Battle of Agincourt, Agincourt. as part of this hundred year war hundred years war thing. Um, but it's so, it's not historically accurate. No. So it's it's not an attempt to tell a historically true or medi- medieval history daily life sort of story about Henry V. It's not a period piece. Not a period piece. Or it is, but uh, my, my, sorry, yeah, okay. my, my point is that it's not historically accurate, yes. but it's also not an accurate retelling of Shakespeare's plays. It's kind of in the middle. So I it's was an aggregate based on several of the plays from his Henriad. Yeah, so there's Henry IV Part One, Henry IV Part Two, and Henry V, I think. And, uh, I don't know why that's funny, but it is. <laughs> <laughs> you got your Henry the Fourth Part One. You got your Henry the Fourth Part Two. You got your Henry the Fifth. Fuck yeah! That's it. Everything that's I end said of the list. in a in a hairy accent. <laughs> yeah, that's right. hairy. Ugh. Um, but it's not. It's not. An, it's not a faithful adaptation of the Shakespeare plays either. So Nash, no Nash, Joel Edgerton said that he was in the. He played Henry in the Henryad plays and some production in Australia like 20 years ago right was asked to do some bullshit he called it a swords and horses movie a few years ago <laughs> and was like right. and it, it sort of felt like the way they were talking about it that was some fucking Guy Ritchie ass type movie where they were where he was oh, okay. thinking like 
yeah, fine. But what I'd actually love to do is like a modern adaptation of Henry V. Right. And apparently whatever room he said that in, they didn't immediately go, no way. And he goes, fuck. And so he like biked around to his mate Davo's house and David Michaud and him like put a treatment together over a few years. Well, they've, um, yeah, they, they but it sounds like over the course of them, yeah. yeah and, but it sounds like over the course of them developing this treatment, they very quickly moved away from it being a Shakespeare adaptation. So they've kept a couple characters and conceits and fabrications from the Shakespeare plays. And then other than that, it's kind of its own thing. Mm, right, right. So it's uh, sort of a pastiche of a lot of different influences, but yeah. doesn't sound like it sticks particularly close to any pre-existing source material. Yeah, and so I can, like, we can. T- I read a really interesting critique of it, which we can get to a bit later. But um, for the, for the most part, just as a as a brief overview, Timothy Chalamet plays Henry V. He is a. I didn't know much about history, so if you know a well, bit about known history, known as Hal to his friends. Yeah, apparently. If yeah, if you know anything about history, this may be. Oh, I don't care you, about I history. Be, <laughs> in the film, he's okay, referred right. to as Hal. I may be exposing my uh, my so. ignorance here. But so the, the 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 bits of the movie that are history, because I was watching some videos today, uh, are that Henry the Fifth's dad, Henry the Fourth, was considered the usurper king, and he overthrew the king and sort of stole the English throne. Yeah. And he wasn't really necessarily in line for it. Henry the fourth was like the son of a third son of some legitimate king. So he was never supposed to be king. Right. But he overthrew the king and became the king. And he was this like bloodthirsty fucking maniac. And people weren't really happy with how he was as a king, including Henry the fifth. And Henry the fifth, Timothy Chalamet's character uh, was never really interested in becoming king. And Henry V himself was like fifth in line for the throne. He was never supposed to be king. There were like four fucking people who who needed to die before Henry V was ever eligible to become king. And they okay. did die and he became king. So right. this movie starts with uh, Timothy Chalamet basically like sleeping his way around town, being a bit of a womanizer uh, and not really... Basically, he looks like he's this like stoner king. Where he's just yeah, like yeah. lazing in bed, being a bit of like a like a Tyrion kind of Game of Thrones kind of yeah. thing, um, where he sort of couldn't give a fuck about ever being king. Totally, he accidentally, he's abandoned all of his courtly responsibilities and yeah, such. Yeah, he accidentally becomes king, uh, and I think that the the core message or the the core sort of theme of the movie is you watch Timothy Chalamet as this like young, uh, pure intentioned king who is sort of trying to avoid getting into war at all costs and uh, he sort of comes into this role as king with the best of intentions and you sort of watch the system corrupt him and you watch him sort of change his fundamental beliefs throughout the course of the film as you watch him like go to war with France and do this battle of Agincourt shit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way to describe it and I guess that's his main... Because we, we stick with him for most of it. Um, yeah. And so that's his main... Uh, He's like a character arc. You watch him like, yeah. get like, broken and corrupted by this system. Yeah. And he goes from being this like naive boy to being like... Uh, and like a real, a real idealist. Yeah. Where he's like, I'm not my father. I'm not the previous guy. You're going to all have to get fucking used to the idea that I'm, I'm built differently. Yeah. And, um, and I'm not going to listen to what you say just because that's the way that we used to have done things. Yeah. And then by the end of it, yeah, he's, he's kind of been... Or he hasn't been able to stick to or yeah. wanted to stick to 
the initial principles that he had to. Right. But and I think but part of that comes from um, his, like, the supporting cast of characters that are around him who act as different influences and push and pull him in certain directions or force choices upon him. Um, in particular, his chief of justice i think yeah um who's played by sean harris who i best knew as playing the main villain in the recent mission impossible films yeah yeah yeah, he's got a really distinctive raspy ass voice i might splice in a clip if i can find it france is taunting us this is hope, this is forge. Um, so there's a lot of like warmongery shit where that yeah. guy is like, don't you want to go to war with France? And he's like, no, no, I don't. Mm. I'm happy just like maintaining the peace. And he's like, no, nah, we should go to war with France. And there's, that's a lot of back and forth where he's yeah. like, uh, uh, Timothy Timoth- Chalamet's character is like shouting down all these like, all his father's oldest, old advisors who have been like, War, they're doing this like warmongering yeah. shit. Like France is taunting you, and he's like, "Well, I just won't rise to it." And they're like, "They're gonna yeah. fucking think you're a big pussy." Yeah. And he's like, "I don't care if they think I'm a big pussy. Doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm not. So whatever." And they're like, <laughs> "All right, fine, but everyone's gonna fucking think you're a, pussy, a big that'd loser. Be, that'd be pretty cool." Yeah, exactly. Pussy's <laughs> cool anyway. I'm kind of a new age king. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> they're like, "I don't like this," and I don't like France. <laughs> um. Yeah, okay. So So you were, you were, we were sort of messaging back and forth because we were watching it concurrently mm. in different locations. You were really into the way this film was shot. Yeah, I think that might be my favorite thing about it is that it looked or at the very least something that helps me enjoy the film despite maybe some of its flaws. Um actually, let's before we get into the, so yeah, the cinematography was great. I'll talk about that a little more later. Um, what did like? Did you like this movie? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, I'll say I was guilty of pausing it a bit just because mm. I had some shit going on while I was watching it. So I would say it felt a bit slow, mm. but I mean, also I was pausing it a bit. Um, I really liked. Uh, it really felt in the same way as that like Game of Thrones captures that fantasy world, this medieval fantasy world kind of period mm. in a really modern way with this amazing production value. This really captured like my childhood. I was never much into like knights and King Arthur shit, but this really did capture like any childhood uh, fantasies I'd had of like knights of the Re- like knights in shining armor battles and stuff. This fed that this fed that little itch in my brain like nothing else. Like yeah. all the big battles and all that all the all the the armor and the horses and the swords and the fucking uh, medieval battle shit was so cool. Even if it probably wasn't historically accurate. It was so much fun to watch. And I really enjoyed the way the fights were shot. There was lots yeah. of like really long... Towards the, the main battle in the latter half of the movie, there's lots of really long shots that stay on Timothy Chalamet the whole time. There was a crazy long shot at one yeah. point. That where they, where it feels so claustrophobic. Yeah. And they're all stuck down in the mud and they're suffocating and they're rolling around and they're trapped in their armor. Yeah. And like, it reminded me a little bit of... Um, 1917 yeah where i was thinking like because there's so many fucking extras and you can see like he's writhing around in the mud he starts off clean and by the end of it you can barely tell who he is yeah and i was like every reset is gonna take like fucking an hour they're gonna be able to do like six takes of this ever yeah it's um i mean i got a bit of a 1917 vibe not just because of the not just because of the long shots but also because yeah, of that claustrophobic feeling the that you muddiness, get. It really yeah. captures that... Yeah. Uh, the grottiness really of battle. Really well. There was, yeah. I wrote down early on this, this really cool scene where they're in France 
sieging this castle and there's these trebuchets that they're yeah, that was these great. big fireballs at this castle and that was cool. I'd never really seen trebuchets in a movie like that. Yeah. And that was something that I'd always been interested in as a kid, this like uh, medieval... They're kind of amazing things. They're yeah. sick. Yeah. And I, yeah, so like definitely in the sense that uh, I'd never seen like a knights and horses and medieval castles movie mm. like this shot this well with this high production with this value. high production value right. that's like made for a modern audience and like i think part of the difference is because like i think it's hard to talk about this without talking about game of thrones as well particularly yeah. because the final season of game of thrones also came out this year i'm pretty sure like in 2019 the year this was released and yeah. at a very similar time i think this might have come out just after game of thrones wrapped up um but that that vibe was certainly forefront in a lot of people's minds. And yeah. and this has that very dark, very modern kind of feel to it. Well, it's meant to be a lot more realistic than Game of Thrones is meant to be because it is meant to be rooted in history. And so, like, Game of Thrones has these, um, you know, like, you'll see the... Yeah, a lot of Game of Thrones, you can very clearly tell when it's shot on a, a soundstage, right? So you can see the green screen because the rest of the city behind like it just kind of flows out or they've got these big wide establishing shots where it's very clearly like CGI and it looks interesting, but it doesn't feel like it's meant to be real. It feels like it's meant yeah. to be high fantasy. Well, I suppose, that's, right? I suppose it has the benefit of being high fantasy. So no exactly. one can point a finger at it and say, that's, that's not what not Castle realistic. Rock looks like. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. So it's like, I think that the, the difference was that this did feel a lot more grounded in reality. I think and it's grounded in a modern cinematic style yes it looked extremely modern and i don't think they really i mean they might have done cgi but it Mm. was very if they used it it was very minimal um there might have been some scenes where like you know tents rolling across hills of an army encampment or something was like extended in the background but for the for the majority of it like it didn't it wasn't trying to go for you know these huge massive cities that sprawled everywhere it was like very small practical kind of sets um and it seemed like it was they were keen to try and get as much of it in camera as possible, which made it feel very grounded and, as you say, modern. And well, that's, um, that's the thing is there's no Shakespearean language in this. It's all very modern style. I mean, there's a bit of thine and vi- thous and that sort of thing. But like, I mean, yeah. the article that I'm referencing same, that feels very similar to Game of Thrones. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, right. I would say yeah. The article, the language is very, very similar to a Game of Thronesy modern language, where there's no Shakespearean. This is very distant from Shakespeare. Yeah. It's basically not Shakespeare. I yeah. mean, other than the fact that they've taken a few characters mm. and there's a few Shakespearean constructions where like political motivations are very oversimplified in this story. Mm. There's, it's like, no, if, you finish, so if you're not into your Shakespeare, this is not that. It's yeah, like inspired by that. Like, there's a scene where Ben Mendelsohn's character goes, I'll hang you by your fucking neck. Yes. Which is like not... Yeah. No, that, that would just Obviously not happen. period appropriate yeah. or Shakespeare already. There's not a single... Uh, not a single couplet of iambic pentameter in this entire production i but, think yeah this article this this critical article i was going to talk about later it pointed that out as this like modern indulgence uh oh. I, th- I, I sort of hadn't really thought about it like that i don't think it's indulgent i think it's oh indulgent is like my term but like he was talking about how like it's not historical and not shakespearean it's this other third weird frankenstein thing i think to speak of that critically is just foolish like i think what for me one of the things that was interesting about this is i have watched Shakespeare. I've seen stage plays of Shakespeare. I've seen. I've studied Shakespeare. I did an entire uni course devoted to Shakespeare and its adaptations. Yeah. And um, so I've watched a lot of Shakespeare in real life, 
and I, I've watched it st- stuck exactly to the original scripts, but presented on film. Yeah. And I've watched it completely adapted, like Romeo, well, not Romeo plus Juliet, um, but uh, like, West Side Story is um, an example. Ten of. Things I Hate About You, or yeah. like, yeah, exactly. So th- that kind of thing, like where they they stick, it's like very loosely inspired or whatever. I've seen sort of the whole gamut. And what I will say is, this reminded me of minimal. Uh, true to script adaptations of Shakespeare in how it felt because of the way that it followed Timothy Chalamet's character. Because it really feels like the closest thing that I could compare it to is Hamlet, where you're watching this... It's one dude. One yeah. guy, it's his journey. You're seeing him be pushed and pulled in these directions of politics. He's, yeah. he's forced to participate in an almost tragic way. He tries to wrest agency back... Um, and he does it through um, deceit or like, um, you know, whatever, like not, I don't think he really deceives people in this, but he does it in ways where um, he's not being, he's being strategic or clever about the way that he chooses to ally with people or yeah. um, to say like, actually, I've considered what you told me and I've decided to do it, but we're just going to do this one little thing differently. And, yeah. and, you know, that that will be like the, you know, he's scheming. There's a lot of political thriller type machinations in this that yeah. are quite cool. I yeah. would say it's, it, it feels a lot like a, like a modern political kind of drama mm. almost. So in the same way that... Um, I agree that it feels so modern that it's not it doesn't feel like dreary Shakespeare. Yeah. I think what it actually captures is the essence that you often get watching a good adaptation and a good performance of a Shakespeare film yeah. without dragging you into needing to pay attention to the language as much as you would normally have to. And I appreciate that in a certain way, but it is nice that it's not a tax on you while you're watching it that it is very easy to just sit there and watch and consume. Yeah. Um so I actually really liked what this was doing, and I, and I thought it was kind of um, very impressive that they managed to capture that sensation of watching a Shakespearean character study without needing to bog you down in what it actually would have felt like to really be in front of, you know, a, a set of players or whatever. Um, yeah. So yeah, I was very impressed by that, and I think that a lot of the modern touches um, support that rather than uh, result in it. In a way, what I mean is like. Um, I don't think it's because they, you know, it's not like they're using anamorphics and there's lens flare and so it feels modern. It's like, it feels very clean and well put together, but the script, the casting, the performances, all of the stuff that would still be true in a theatrical production are what make it feel that way. Those are the modern things. Even Chalamet as a lead is like bizarre. Amazing. He's like, very, very good in this. It's great And also casting. he's American. It's you really forget? well cast. He, that's true. He does good accent work. Yeah. yeah. Timothy Chalamet might be one of my favorite modern. He, he's so good. He, he was brilliant in Little Women. He's brilliant in this. Yeah. He's going to be good in June. Yeah. I mean, seeing him in this and, and knowing that he's going to be playing like the, you know, the, the prince of the family <laughs> in, in June is... Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm keen to see what he does. He's confident that he can do Prince well. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, I mean, Paul Atreides is like a very different character to this, but I can see some overlaps. So I think it's interesting. Yeah. I certainly think this would have given him a, a leg up in the casting process. Can, can I go through a bit of this critical article with you sure. on Medium? So it's written by this guy named Benjamin Broadrib, which. Okay. Already a point against him there. But, interesting. Uh, it's, <laughs> the title is The King. A shake. For a start, I'll say this guy's very brutal, and I don't completely agree with him, but I think it's an interesting point that he raised. Okay, I want sure. to see what you think. Yeah. The title is The King, a Shakespeare film made for and by people who don't like Shakespeare. Right. So, 
all, already, he, he talks about the idea that um, I think, uh, Joel yeah, Edgerton okay. said in this interview he liked King Henry V. The yeah, play. the people that made this yeah. like Shakespeare. So Joel Edgerton said in this, in, in this variety interview he liked being in the Shakespeare plays and wanted to do a modern adaptation of it and went around to David Michaud. And then they very quickly together, they say, decided to go away from Shakespeare as much as possible. Right. So already this guy's like criticizing the fact that they're keeping parts of Shakespeare that they want and then discarding all the language and the poetic, the poeticism of it. Yeah. And this then, has the soul of Shakespeare. Yeah. But so none what, of the body. This guy's, right. So this guy's gripe is that, um, it's not keeping enough of Shakespeare to be a faithful Shakespeare production or to be doing justice to a Shakespeare story. They're almost ripping him off. Like they take the character of Falstaff just because they like that construction, but then they get rid of all the language, they get rid of all the the Shakespeare's story elements, and they have like a very broad skeleton of Shakespeare. And then they're putting in these elements from history that also aren't quite historically accurate. So he sort of links to all these these uh, these opinions from medieval historians, for example, that are very unhappy or like very dissatisfied with the way this is showing Henry V as a historical character. So it's not a very good historical representation of Henry V. And it's right. also not a very good uh, dramatical, uh, d- dramatic uh, Shakespeare adaptation of it. So it's kind of in the middle. And so this guy's suggestion is, he was like, yeah, it's a good movie, but <laughs> if you look at it between these two, where they've like picked this weird like... Uh, weird middle ground between those two. He's almost criticized. He, he criticizes David Michaud for doing like the laziest option where uh, he's like, I just don't off. agree with that at all. So this guy says that he, this, uh, this guy says uh, a braver filmmaker would have seen this as a challenge, write a new dramatic fictional work about Henry V whilst being aware of the daunting specter of Shakespeare that might hang over it. Instead, Michaud accepts the easy option, inviting Shakespeare in whilst constantly pushing him away. Uh, ultimately, this condemns his film as feeling like a, he says, inferior hack job, which I disagree with. I think he For means anyone, hack job as in like it's, he's cut it to yeah, pieces. Like, it I feels, this guy says, it feels like an inferior hack job for anyone familiar with the plays, hoping for an even partially faithful adaptation. Right. Between them, the, the Michaud and Edgerton retain only the bare bones of Shakespeare's narrative across the, f- the three plays and none of his language. Um, and then he sort of talks about how the, the political criticisms that they do about systems being corrupt and war corrupting aren't really even like a hot take. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> but I enjoyed the movie. I sort of saw what yeah. this guy was saying and be like, yeah, it's a good point. And I sort of thought about the idea that they've taken the character from a Shakespeare play but have discarded so much of the rest of it that like Shakespeare doesn't even get like a based on Shakespeare in the credits. I it's it was written in fifteen ninety nine. Like shut no, but, the fuck up. No, but up. Shakespeare has like this. This article says like Shakespeare has like fourteen hundred writing credits on IMDb. Yeah, I know, but like, it, I I think the fact that, the, like, exactly, Shakespeare has fourteen hundred writing credits already. Yeah. Like, I think there's. I think saying that there's no room for people to take as much or as little of Shakespeare's material. Like Shakespeare's such a. It's mm. almost like it's like. Um, looking at the one of the seven archetypal story shapes that have been described in like fucking Greek 
whatever it is, theory or whatever the fuck, wherever that comes from. And being like, well, they didn't stick exactly to Hero's journey, so this is lazy. Because they've taken the bits of Hero's journey on paper, but they haven't... Um, like the, the long dark night of the soul, they didn't literally focus on the character's soul. So you're losing the initial substance. Yeah. I, I just think like there's enough. Um, this was such a fresh and new take that I don't really give a fuck if they're not taking much from the original source material. I think the looseness of the inspiration of Shakespeare isn't uh, like, isn't a care for me. And I would clarify his point. Like, I disagree with a lot of what he's saying, but I think this was a film made by people who love Shakespeare for people who don't love Shakespeare or don't care about it. I think the yeah. creators knew what they were they doing. They were like, we want to share yeah. what we love about this with yeah, you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, if I Shakespeare agree. was writing his stories, but in this modern era, this might have been something like he did. And if the criticism is then like, oh, well, if you really wanted to write an adaptation of Henry V, you needed to stick to the plot of Henry V. It just implies, like, adaptation should always be 100% or 0%. Like, I, I, yeah. I just don't understand why it's a problem that they're taking what they think are the best bits of the... Or, like, even the essence of the characters and discarding all of the old shit. You know, like, I, I'm... If it mattered, like, if you were losing something... Um, irreplaceable around the character... Yeah. Then I can kind of understand why you're saying, like, oh, it's not as good. But if yeah. you're then turning around and saying, like, this was a good film... But it wasn't a good Shakespeare play. It's like, yeah. right, well, it was a film and I, it's not a Shakespeare play. I think it's interesting and it comes back to the idea that it's the, an interesting the, the, point, the interesting but I just text disagree. is so old. But I, I, I suppose that the point that I take from that is like it's almost an original work, but mm. they've taken like a couple things from Shakespeare. So why didn't you just why didn't you just not do that? Why didn't you just take like make it completely original? But I kind of like the idea that it has roots in a lot of different stuff and it makes it feel like this weird hybrid that is almost a bit more charming. I like that yeah. you can go through it and be like, uh, yeah, maybe this, uh, this is a criticism that I haven't seen, but I'm sure you could go through it and be like, yeah, that arm is not what that arm was like. Those tents aren't what those tents oh, were like. But probably. you'd be like, yeah, but isn't it more fun? Yeah. Isn't it so much more fun? It, and I kind of like that. The problem with that comes from when someone says, this is really historically accurate. Yeah. And the, or the creator say, it's, we're trying to be as true as possible or like whatever. And then you look at it and say like, well, it's not. You yeah. did a bad job. And so you're being dishonest or you're being inaccurate or whatever. But they're not trying to do that. You're right. And I suppose the idea with a lot of these is the fact that it's set in a medieval period would inherently suggest that you assume that they're going for accuracy. And there might be to some yeah. degree, but it's like, well, no, there's just... I think it's more dishonest to... Um, if you're being so close, like, what I don't know what, what he's really asking them to do. Is he asking them to erase the knowledge of these characters from their heads before they start the writing process? Well, like, false you're stuff, for always example, going to be drawing inspiration from stuff that you know. Joel Edgerton's character, for example, is a character that's not a his, is not a historical figure yeah, and only sure. exists in Shakespeare's plays. Right. So it's kind of weird. I see the idea that it's kind of weird to have this original story and then take that one character from the play. And then be like, yeah, but we'll take that. I think it's cool. I, I, I think it's really interesting yeah. because in the same way that like, not crossover episodes, but you know, like um, I think the idea of saying like, there's this character from this well-known universe that um, fulfills a specific function or has a certain um, energy or personality to them. And I think um, bringing in this character to this other setting where he would fit really well and then really only taking the loosest 
kind yeah. of like, oh, he's a... He's it's, like a da- it's like David Michaud's Avengers. Well... <laughs> no, I agree with you. Yeah, I, I, I know not, what you I'm mean. When I said I'm, crossover episode, it, yeah. it immediately didn't ring true for me. Yeah, but yeah. like, it's like... um, I, He's not trying to... S- like, who's holding those original characters as sacred? It, it, it almost reminds me of like a Tarantino-y kind of reference. Yeah, not yeah. A, and I think... Like, if Tarantino is 100%, this is like 15%. But I think if you like, what's the? Because okay, fine. You're asking them to write a completely original piece. Are they? Are you asking them to write a completely original piece that's Henry the Fifth, or like completely from the ground up tell that historical story? I think. Or are you asking them to write something that still that like doesn't stick to that at all and is a completely original medieval piece, like? You you kind of it's like do you want them to not use the word France like do you want them to not involve countries like where does it stop needing to be historically original and still be true to the period yeah and, and also like again there are so I think it's more dishonest if they were like if they just changed the names and said like oh no it's nothing to do with those characters because I think his obviously point, they'd be drawing influence from it yeah his point is weird I think his point is. Shakespeare's Henry V was a largely fictional story with Henry V in it. Right. If you wanted to do that, you could have done a largely fictional story with Henry V in it, which you've done, but you've also taken 10% of your story from Shakespeare's story. So what the fuck? I think expecting people to just... I don't know, because then as soon as people find out you're making a story of Henry V, you're immediately going to be compared to Shakespeare, right? Yeah. So it's Which like, I suppose is what this is. I don't know. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, the movie and I didn't... I suppose I, I have the benefit of not knowing enough about... Not caring enough about Shakespeare and not knowing enough about history for this to gripe. Yeah, exactly. I thought it was really cool. And for what it's worth, I thought that it landed a modern feel to the movie that, mean, that meant that all the little manipulative political machinations that it has in the movie, I felt it allowed you to sort of... It allowed that to reflect a bit on like modern political stuff mm. and the modern political goings-on that I think it wouldn't necessarily have done if the movie had felt a bit more historically grounded, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um like this is a mild this is a this is a spoiler. Okay. But the way in can we spoil it? This is it. This is spoiler warning. But um the way in which he is manipulated into invading France. Yeah. By uh, we don't have to say who it is, but there's he's misled into he's he's misled yeah uh, in the circumstances surrounding the assassination. We can do a final attempt. spoiler warning later, but I'd like to talk about some of the kind of mid. Oh, that's right. This is this is a spoiler. First. It's fine. Yeah, right. It's fine. Yeah. The, it's way, he, the way he's misled about uh, the this assassination attempt sparking his uh, desire to invade France. Mm. Um, I thought that was like a cool that that's not based on history, and I think that also doesn't happen in Shakespeare. So that's right. this like new invention for yeah, the story. Yeah, that's cool. And I think it was cool, and I think it really lent into this. I, I think it really added weight to the the message of the film being like this, like loss of innocence, and like the way in which power corrupts, and the way in which the system can corrupt. I think David Michaud said in some interview, it's kind of about how the system can corrupt the intentions of the pure before the pure are strong enough to, to change, change the system. system. Yeah, I, I totally see that. I think that's a really interesting perspective and it was one of the coolest. It didn't even feel like that much of a twist at the end finding out who was manipulating him because you're kind of suspicious, I guess. Yeah. But also it's like, 
Sean Harris is the one who, the, the, his chief of justice, who's kind of been his closest, um, not closest ally, but his most... He's been like a supportive... That's like, right, the most supportive yeah. of his cabinet. Yeah. Um, misled him with, yes, the assassination attempt, potentially with the ball as well, I think, as the gift. Because um, I think it comes out that like basically none of what France... Did to him actually well, Robert happened, Pattinson. Right? We could talk about Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson's character is like literally just like a schoolyard bully. Yeah, and so I think the ball, Maybe the ball might was be from true. Robert Pattinson. Okay, all right, yeah. But when he's yeah. like, they get they sent you a tennis ball. You should go invade. And yeah. Timothy Chalamet is like, eh, no. Mm, no. They clearly yeah. invent this like situation assassin. where they yeah. they set up a fake assassination attempt right, to then right, go, right, oh, right. that was a French assassin. You should yeah. go invade. So um, so yeah, I think the, like the idea that he has been manipulating him the entire time was not even like a big twist reveal at the end. It was just kind of like, oh, well, if it wasn't this guy, then maybe you would have been pressured into it in a different way. It almost feels inevitable. And he's just the face that sits on that inevitability, um, which I really liked, but it still was a sense of satisfaction from this, like where he gets to be angry at a particular person about it, about what's happened and and sort of really take it out on, yeah, on on Sean Harrison is quite the, the fucking brutal like neck stab. Oh, just like shunk. yeah, he, he had just a falls lot, down he had flat. A shit ton of little knife kills. He's a little knife boy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He um. That, oh man, I really enjoyed that. I thought that scene at the end where he's finally talking to his like French bride. Mm. Um. Oh, for a start, her just being like, "I'm not going to talk English," and then like, I, her being like, "I can't speak English." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then him being like, and then, I love that she lied to him. That she's like, yeah, I can't yeah. speak English. No nah, jokes, I can't. She just has <laughs> no respect. Yeah, yeah, no she, respect. Such for a him. cool, yeah. strong character. Yeah, yeah, but she's really cool. The idea that like she's the one that tells him like, also you're an idiot, bro. We didn't try to assassinate you. And him like parroting back all the excuses that his advisors fed him. That's him right. Parroting those straight back to her. Yeah, and yep. her like shooting them down was so cool. And I thought it did a good job of making you at first be like, "Well, she's just because she's so adversarial. She's just fucking like with she's him. fucking with him, and she's going to tell him whatever because she doesn't want to be there or have anything to do with him, and she just is yeah. like, yeah, has no respect for him. And then you realize like, no, she's being honest and doesn't care. And and then you're like, oh shit, like she's telling you the truth. And yeah, yeah. you fucking she doesn't hate you because, um. Like, she hates you because you invaded her country for no good reason from her perspective. Yeah. And but she's almost laughing at him for, like... Being so comp- fucking naive. I suppose this is one of these cool, like, little fictional uh, flights of fancy that I thought made the movie better. She's, like, laughing at him almost for, like... It's like, she doesn't know that he had these strong principles, but as an audience, you're like, oh, this dude had... There was students on his high horse about his strong fucking peaceful principles. And, and still like, invaded a country. Still invaded yeah. a country and compromised everything that he was. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's really interesting. Um, Just on the say-so of one fucking guy. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. And like he thought he was being... He was so paranoid about being misled or anything that he, he latched onto the one person that he felt like he could trust. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've got a lot more to talk about in terms of the um, like the production of this film, but I think it's starting to probably wear a little thin. I liked the um, I, I, Ben Ben Mendelsohn has like a very minor. He's the father um, or like the king that dies at the start, yeah. and I thought he was pretty good. 
Um, but it was, was tiny parties, barely. Yeah, yeah. So I saw Mendo on screen, and then I was like, "Oh, cool!" And yeah. then he didn't. Yeah. I thought Joel Edgerton's character was really good. I thought it was really good. Uh, we've said before that fucking Chalamet was amazing. He was very good in it. I love when he gets hot, to scream, and I can't tell why. I just yeah, I it, it just feels like it, it's like. I'm looking at him being like, I, sh- I, j- I disagree with me. It's so funny that they gave him that dog shit haircut. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought I messaged you halfway through being like, yeah. bro, help me. I like his haircut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I watched an interview with Michaud where he was like, yeah. And I mean, there's only one existing portrait of Henry V that he has that dog shit haircut. So, of, <laughs> yeah. of course, we had to give so him that So, we had to give him that haircut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A classic example of... Uh, it's the fedora thing where like a hot person wearing it, you think it looks great. Yeah. You try it, you look no. like a fucking idiot yeah, yeah yeah he was sick in it i think this movie's really fun i think it's the battles are so good the hey, okay the dark political discussions the brooding you said the lighting's really good i agree the cinematography the time, in this movie's great lots of the time a shot feels like it's almost too dark but mm. there'll be like just enough like firelight hitting hitting a character yeah yeah well he uses so this is shot by adam arkapur who was the same man that shot um both animal kingdom that we talked about last week which is a good looking movie i'm not sure we really talked about that too much but um i think it's a really good movie and also um the first series of true detective which is notoriously not only well i think it's beautifully shot i think it's a wonderful i think it's some of the best cinematography that we've seen in tv in the last 10 years but also it made me think of that it has in the third or fourth episode that seven minute long take where they go through from house to house in that drug raid with McConaughey like, like dragging episode, yeah. the dude through. No, it's in like the oh. fourth. Um, <laughs> I rewatched it recently. Oh, I'm thinking of Sicario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it made me think like, oh, he, that's kind of prep for this long take in the muddy battle scenes of the combat yeah, yeah. stuff. Um, and I thought it was interesting that they gave. Chalamet so much of that physicality I've never seen him in such a physical role I'll be interested to see if that's what Dune is like because I can't remember there's a lot of like movement that happens in Dune for various reasons but um, I, I can't was, remember Paul Atreides like fighting like hand to hand combat kind of shit well, I mean, but he does right. lots of this in this film yeah and he's sick and he's, you're right he's very physical he feels like a very strong character even though he's so small he's, he's such like a little a, twig yeah, yeah it's a, weird apparently great casting because uh, you're like this guy can't fight and then he really fucking kills a guy and you're like yeah. what's going on apparently Michaud watched uh Chalamet in Call Me By Your Name and was like, oh, there's my like naive boy king. Right. Perfect. Interesting. Which is a wild pick, but he works really well. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think you're right about the, the, physic- the physicality of it. He's so strong and he's so... I've never seen him do anything like that before. I mean, I really, the, the main film I've seen him in in the last couple of years is Little Women, which is like a, a very, very reserved period piece. Yeah. But... Yeah, no, you're right. I'd be keen to see more of it because there's a lot of shit. All the screaming where he's really mad, he sort of feels like he becomes 20 years older. Right. People's voices in this film are great. There's a couple of really good like vocal deliveries and and one of them was his. But yeah, that's right. He's usually very softly spoken and and has quite a smooth voice. But yeah, when he he really puts like this guttural yell into it, it's quite out of character and it works really well. Yeah. Um, I can't think think of much else I wanted to say about the movie. I I thought it was good. Uh, mm. I think my favorite thing about it was really the 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 dramatic, big battle scenes and the performances. I think I wasn't wild about the. I mean, I think I think I think I didn't really notice the writing. I think much. the writing was 
quite good. It was like reasonably sparse, which was nice. It wasn't a whole lot of like just people fucking talking at each other. Yeah. And also this was funny. Like there were funny moments where um particularly with Joel Edgerton's character, but also in the way that he treats the bishop. The bishop's such a stuffy little fuck with a lisp <laughs> and it's really annoying. Um Robert Pattinson's character is so fucking hilarious. So Laura was telling me, um, Robert Pattinson's character, Robert Pattinson refused to show his accent until they started filming. Good shit. So like the first take yeah. was the first time yeah. and Michaud heard the accent. It's and so, I think it's good. The screams of your men shall lull me to sleep at night. In my opinion, it's I think insane. it's abysmal. I, I feel like Robert Pattinson in this movie immediately reminded me of John Malkovich in Johnny English. <laughs> it was well, such a terrible French accent. I David, think. I thought it was good. I think his performance is really good, but the, he's just doing this French accent that I just don't for one second believe. Michonne said he offered he offered the part to Robert Pattinson because he thought Robert Pattinson would have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. And he said the character is deliberately a very cookie-cutter, schoolyard bully, right. surface level. That's all he is. He's just a douchebag and nothing more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, when he trips in he, the mud and yeah, stuff. Yeah, he has this, like, always this fucking matte black suit of armor. Yeah. <laughs> It's sick. Good shit. It's sick. And he's like this golden boy with like long flowing hair. And then the second he actually tries to fight. Yeah. Yeah. He just like slips and trips on his own dick. Um, It's sick. Yeah. I think that was very good. I just think he shouldn't have had the accent. Yeah. No, I I don't mind it. um, I definitely thought it was insane. I, I definitely thought it was like... Holy fuck, get a French guy for this. What are you doing? That's what's crazy, but then yeah. it's less money because there's not as well known French accents. Yeah. I, I think um, the king, yeah. the French king was very good right at the end. He's only kind of a brief character, but I feel like, okay, I think the casting in this movie is actually one of its strongest points. Yeah. And particularly because I feel like no character is um, what you would expect the character to be or who you would expect the character to be cast as. You know, um, even Joel Edgerton as like this, you know, I'd expect him to be like this rough military guy, but he's sort of this portly ex-soldier. Yeah, I, I sort of didn't mind that like, and stuff. there was a few times where Timothy Chalamet is like, what the fuck are you doing, man? I got here as a military advisor and you're not doing shit. Yeah. And every time he calls him on it, Joel Edgerton comes up with some very sagely, Philosophical reason why, like yeah. th- th- there's one, there's one bit where they're in Agincourt and he's been very quiet, and he's like, "Look, man, I don't want to. A lot of these people, they just try and make themselves seem useful by giving you random bullshit advice that doesn't mean anything, just so they can be saying something." Yeah, I don't got nothing to say. Yeah, I'm not saying nothing. That's right. Yeah, and I feel like with him and the rain thing, like he's kind, of, he is kind of this master strategist, but at the same mm-hmm. time, he's like, well, if it doesn't rain, we're pretty fucked. Yeah, and he, it feels like when it starts, when it finally starts to rain, you get that satisfying moment of um, vindication. He, it feels like he was like, well, he's not lying 100% in bed, like, sure. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Which I really liked. Yeah. Um, I sort of thinking about it now. I, I like that scene right at the start between the two of them where um. Yeah. Shalami has to cauterize the wound and yeah. he like flicks him on the face <laughs> right before he presses the knife to him. Yeah. At that moment it was like, yeah, I'm having fun. This is I cool. thought yeah, that reminds me there's that there's a bit where they, uh, he just keeps like breaking into his bedroom. 
But he's like, what are you saying? I copied your key and I kept a copy of the key for myself? Is that yeah. what you're saying? In order to be in here right now, I would have had to copy your key. I would have had to break your lock. And I clearly wouldn't have done that. I'm not the kind of person to do that. So, by the way, yeah. you got to get that door fixed. Yeah. <laughs> but someone busted your lock, by the way. <laughs> Very funny That's good stuff. shit. Um, yeah. The more I think about it, the more I'm sort of... I, I enjoy this movie a lot. I'm, I'm now thinking a bit about what this guy's saying about history and Shakespeare. And mm. I suppose I can sort of see the idea about... I can see an anti-intellectualist reading of this where someone watches this and says, I love Shakespeare, but this is none of the Shakespeare. Mm. And I love medieval history. And this doesn't really have much of the history. It's kind of a political thriller drama that you've said, oh, but that guy's Henry V. Mm. And it's almost like he didn't, it didn't really need that to be Henry V. It would have been just as entertaining and it's just as little... Because I was watching some bits about like the Battle of Agincourt and what really went down. And mm. like, there's, there's so little of this, I think, as a non-expert, there's so little of this, I think, that is like strictly historically true other than the broad cookie-cutter stuff. But I can definitely see a gripe where if you knew enough about any of these two topics, the Shakespeare or the history, bits of this movie would drive you batshit. Mm. But as someone who doesn't, I had a great time. Yeah, I think if you are annoyed by that, you're a big fucking nerd. And <laughs> I don't care about your opinion. I can sort of say, no, but in the same way as like, you get annoyed by uh, political stuff that tries to be political that doesn't delve into the, the depth of it enough, mm. I can definitely see where if you're a bit of a political nerd, that like, like for example, the reason why they invaded France wasn't just because of this assassination attempt. There was like many multi-levels apparently of years worth of failed negotiations that resulted in that. Yeah. And that was like a Shakespearean like, this is what it was. Yeah. And so I can well, definitely I see when how a film that tries to tell you, I know what I'm talking about. I'm betraying yeah. the full picture here and I'm in the right because I'm making the moral argument. Yeah. And it's like just hollow or bullshit or based on a false yeah, premise yeah. or something. This film's not trying to tell you it's historically accurate. And no, I just... I, I just think it's not like, trying to tell you it's a true adaptation yeah, of Shakespeare. Yeah, I know. But I can definitely see how like, because it's Henry V who is a historical character and it's telling you a story. Yeah. I can definitely see how that would be annoying and I'm glad that I don't find it annoying. I think... Because I, I really enjoy this movie but I can definitely see how if you knew anything about it, this would just drive you nuts. Yeah. Now that guy sounds like a nerd. <laughs> yeah. Care. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. His um, name's fucking like Broad Rib. Yeah. That's that sounds very British. <laughs> this film was ridiculous. <laughs> um, I voted for the Tories. <laughs> um, I thought I was like just a couple of other notes here. There were a yeah, lot yeah. of scenes with like two hundred extras that were filmed either at sunset or at daybreak, and I thought, Jesus, those Christ. poor motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These people having to like whether like if anyone is messing around or holding us up, you're immediately fired. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, that sounded like a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, um, I guess the centerpiece of this movie is the battle in the mud, which we've already talked about. But yeah. I guess I think I just wanted to repeat that like it was so sick. It's really cool. It's really refreshing, and it's really nice that it felt so different because I've seen a lot of this medieval type shit, and I think Game of Thrones did. A lot of Game of Thrones, like, I remember, yeah, when you see, like, the two, like, literally the two armies clash together, and it's not, I, I feel like um another point of, like, reference I have for this is, like, Lord of the Rings, where they're M-rated, you don't really see, like, really people dying, you just see, yeah. like, someone getting hit with an axe and it doesn't actually break their armor. And you but... don't get much of a, per- you don't feel the personal stakes of these people that are being sent in That's there. That's right. Or how shit it would have been. Like, there's a scene where, um when they're fighting right at the end and it's before Timothy Chalamet goes to the battle and Joel Edgerton is like 
Oh, the camera like a rushed. The, the camera, camera like abandons him. You don't and, get to and, and see him goes, die. No, and it goes. It just so pivots over to an aerial view and then just roves up slowly. Yeah. So it's like zooming out, and he's struggling to stay above the fray enough to breathe. Yeah. Because there are so many people around him. Yeah, that you was so good. You can't pull your... It's There's so much crush that you can't even pull your arm back enough to land a hit. So you're not even trying. You're just trying to stay upright. You really... really the it's claustrophobic really feeling of the camera is so good. You yeah. really... It, it, it There's very few cuts in those sequences. Mm. You feel like... He's just like stabbing random dudes in armor, and I think, fuck, I can't tell the difference no, I, between these. Absolutely, guys. like, yeah. yeah, it's just this cacophonous clanking of armor mm. and this rain and the, the mud. And you're right, people can't fucking stand up or breathe. Yeah. There's this moment right at the start of that battle where he gets hit on the in the um, head with like a big fucking thing swung by someone on a horse. Yeah, and you hear. I don't know if you heard the sound design, but like it like it hits him, him and it goes like dung, and then yeah, his um his ear like rings yeah. and he like pulls his helmet off, uh, which you're like, God, why? Why but the fuck? You can just tell that? he's like pissed off with it. Yeah, yeah. And his ear kind of stays ringing for a while, and he's like kind of trying to shake it off, but he knows he needs to get back into this battle. That's really cool stuff. The, and I think what I think you're right. It humanizes. It really elevates the individual stakes within those battles. And I think this has done that better than any fantasy or medieval style battle yeah i think so too and despite me standing up for this fucking nerd on the internet i think this was sick and i really Mm. liked the modern choices it made because it felt like despite me saying that i understand how it would feel a bit anti-intellectual to be like get rid of that shakespeare shit honestly get rid of that shakespeare shit yeah so it just makes it easier to consume yeah and i feel like uh, I definitely understand how us saying like, "Oh, get rid of that, get rid of that shit," would, dro- would drive people nuts and make it feel like we're stupid. But like, I honestly think that like, even just the the mental barrier, getting rid of that and making it like more modern and more engaging, it it, it, it helps you, it helps suck you in, man, and it helps it feel less so. stuffy. Yeah, you know what I mean. With, with a Shakespeare adaptation, there's always this like stuffiness to it there is yeah that makes me yeah. feel like like the previous one it's the like, previous oh, Henry I'm gonna the have Fifth, to watch Kenneth Branagh for literally two hours. the previous one on this list is like fucking Kenneth Branagh yeah and I hate that it's like yeah give me this little indie millennial fucking twink yeah <laughs> play some really like good. I don't know some Nick Cave or some shit yeah whatever yeah. I, I hate that I love that but I fucking love it I think I think he's arguing for this to be something that it's not trying to be. And I think if he wants a direct adaptation, and I know that this is always just going to be a little bit of the critics saying when they, when they don't like something yeah, saying like, well, it would have been better if he did this or did this, but he did neither. So it's bad. Yeah. But I think it's like, well, okay, if you want a direct adaptation, just wait for the next Henry V adaptation yeah. to come out. I, I feel, I feel like this guy's problem was that he was, Dave Michelle wasn't doing enough new stuff with the political shit. In this guy's view, he wasn't doing anything really new mm. and he wasn't really doing anything that did justice to his source material or was his direct... So this guy was kind of like, well, what are you doing? It's not for him. It was for me. I right. loved it. I'm but glad I enjoyed it. I guess that's my point. Is like, But overall, the product feels so fresh and new that he yeah. must have been innovating in a whole bunch of different ways. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think... I'm not, I'm not really trying to continue to argue with this guy, but um, I... 
I think what I'm trying to say is like this is worth your time. It does breathe new life into yeah. into Shakespeare. Not that it really needed new life breathed into it, but I think it approaches it in a really different way. Yeah. And um I was actually I had my expectations surpassed because I like I love Animal Kingdom. I like Crossbow, which is that short film that Michaud did. Uh, I didn't know it was shot by um Old Mate. Um yeah. but it I, I I had reasonably high expectations, Adam Archibald. Sorry, the cinematographer's name. Um, yeah. But I had reasonably high expectations until I saw the user reviews, sorry, the Metascore and the Metacritic for this, which is like 62. And so I was like, oh, this is maybe not going to be that great. Like, it might be fine. And then um, my mate Laura, who I mentioned earlier, said um, it was... She was underwhelmed by it, but then when she said... We were talking about it, and she said, "Actually, you know what? I re- I watched it right before or right after Game of Thrones wrapped." Yeah, and I remember thinking it was nothing new, and I think I get why this would have paled in comparison to people, especially the just the cultural space that Game of Thrones would have occupied at the time. It kind of yeah. doesn't surprise me that this slipped under a lot of people's radar. I think, um, but. I think it does such a different thing to what Game of Thrones does that I think this will actually last and stand the test of time much, much, much better than Game of Thrones would. And I think this has like rewatch yeah. value. Um, I'll probably go back to this in a few years and, and enjoy it. Um, but I think it's certainly better than a 6 out of 10. Like, I really liked it. And I think this movie got um, really fucked in its reputation and in its release. So, yeah, it's worth it. It looks really beautiful. I watched it on 4K Netflix um, and it still looked pretty good. So, yeah, uh, you know, this is the kind of film that I think even if you're watching it for the visuals, it's still worth it. Yeah. Production design is awesome. Um, the performances and casting are great. Like, it's just a really, really good movie. I think I think I feel lucky that I enjoyed it because I definitely right. understand the criticism skimming through the... <laughs> you got away with murder on this one. <laughs> Me? Yeah. What do you mean? Like that you enjoyed it. You're like, whew. No, because can't I, believe I definitely it. understand. I, I definitely... Because I've, I've, I've just skimmed through the Metacritic and a it's lot like of those reviews are like... never by the grace of God go I that I would feel that way. It's like, if you say like, it's it's a Shakespeare thing where they get rid of all the poetic Shakespeare language and they put, they put fucking Timothy Chalamet in it. They put Timothy Chalamet and Robert Pattinson in a Shakespeare thing that has no Shakespeare language in it and it's also not historically accurate at all. I can yeah. definitely see like... No, I understand why you would hate that. I understand why... It would seem like this pandery, modern Shakespeare for millennials. We've got to dumb it all down for these idiots. And But I liked it. And I didn't I didn't feel that. And I've only really yeah. started to register that argument going back and looking at it. It's later. like it goes for two hours and 20 minutes. Like this isn't trying to be like that broadly appealing. I, I don't know. I, I don't think... Yeah, I don't know. I think I think I think this is striking a really good zone where like probably most people that watch this movie could enjoy it. And yeah. um and but it's not it, it doesn't feel like it's sacrificing its soul in order to do that. And I just keep coming back to that that kind of way of thinking about it. This this, this really this felt like Shakespeare. And the more that you look at it, the less it is like Shakespeare, but it felt like Shakespeare. It's a little bit like when um when a game this is kind of a niche reference, but like when a game releases a rem- or a remake yeah, and you play it and you go, yeah, this is exactly what the original felt like. It's great. And then you go back and you play the original and it really doesn't play how you remember it playing. It's very clunky. It's very frustrating to get your kind of brain around. And you realize that actually what they were doing in that remake was they were capturing what you remember it felt like. 
to yeah. play that game. And that's what's important. And that's the good product, right? But yeah. they're not trying to 100% emulate the original experience because actually it hasn't aged very well and you need to be appreciating it for its historical value, not for its current value. Yeah, I don't hate For me, that. This, this, this felt like, you know, like a really good remaster of Shakespeare. Yeah. It's like... They're trying to draw out the best elements, but they're not trying to keep anything for the sake of keeping anything. I don't hate that. Yeah, I don't hate that. I, I definitely understand why some people would hate that. But yeah, if I don't you hate love it. the original. I don't know so why much, I keep harping on about that, but I just feel like it's such a good point. It's an interesting point. It's. I feel like for me, it's such a good point, and I just it just doesn't bother me, and I just feel blessed that it doesn't bother me. <laughs> I, I just think if this, if you feel that way about the film. It's, it wasn't made for you. Like yeah. there are other films that will be made that that are for you. Yeah. There will be a high value remake at some point of Henry yeah. V. And there will be someone who goes, well, this is actually a retelling of Henry V and it's perfectly historically accurate, but it's not yeah, Shakespeare. Yeah. And then there'll be someone that goes, oh, I read Henry V and I made a completely new story based on that. Yeah. But it's not really, there's nothing else to it. It's just the template is there of those yeah. characters or whatever. So, I don't know. It's just like, yeah, man, it's not the film for you. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting look into an adaptation and a look into like what the role of this, the filmmaker has to be mm. when drawing from source material and when drawing from history. I think it's, I think it's really I think interesting. it's probably informed my, because I, as I said before, I've studied adaptation and I've been, and I've experienced a lot of literary adaptation. And I think yeah. it's really truly reinforced to me that there are literally no rules around mm. ad- adaptation and there's no like if you're doing if you're making something that's good as david Michaud has yeah and as the writers have it doesn't matter what you've taken and what you've left behind yeah because the end product is good and the, the end product is what was intended right that's yeah. right and and that's what's meant to be consumed the process behind it is not what's meant to be consumed yeah and, and he said in interviews like we've deliberately tried to steer as far away from shakespeare as we can yeah. whilst keeping some core elements so yeah, yeah. So if he's yeah. like, oh, he's cashing in on the Shakespeare name, it's like, what? <laughs> if anything, that's going to put modern people off. Yeah. Like no one's thinking like, oh, Shakespeare. Cool. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so I think the, you know, the fact that it's called the king and stuff is, is yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's there if you're looking for it. But if he wanted yeah. to cash in on the Shakespeare, we would have called it the fifth king named Henry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's right. If they wanted to make a, a remake, they would have called it Henry or something to do with the, the, the plays like Henry, Henry V or some shit. Hal even. Like, but it's meant to be clearly, like as I said, a pastiche. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I think I'm that's done. It. But that's all we got. Yeah, I really like this one. Actually, I had my um, expectations surpassed. was very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I did not want to watch this at all and I'm glad I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Watch The Irishman, you fuck. Because <laughs> I'm right about that too. <laughs> if, you watch the, if you watch Titanic, I'll watch The Irishman. Uh, that's, that's the fairest trade I, I've yeah, ever probably. heard. probably. Except you'll enjoy The Irishman a lot more than I'm going to enjoy fucking Titanic. <laughs> but, um, fuck. I'm trying to think of a better than worse end for this. No, I haven't watched enough of these to really you know. Yeah, I mean, like, it's better than... I think it's better than any, like... Okay, so there's like I'm you thinking can't compare of compare it to a Shakespeare thing. Well, that's yeah, I'm thinking of like um, David Tennant's Hamlet because that's like a Shakespeare thing, but it's shot on like BBC budget, so it's very yeah. minimal. They use a lot of like actual sets. It feels like a recorded theater production. Yeah. But then there's also like, um, like I think Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet is really shot like a real movie, and I enjoyed yeah. this more than I think I've enjoyed any really actually shot um, Shakespeare thing. Yeah. I think it's more personally appealing to me than Romeo plus Juliet. 
because I really didn't love that the first time I saw it. I think I now appreciate it with a bit of a like more yeah. refined palette, but it's still not really my thing. Yeah. So I think I enjoyed that more than this. I am struggling for it. I feel like this did what it was trying to do better than most things I've ever seen that have tried to do it. Like I'm struggling to think of... I think I enjoyed Game of... Th- this is a dumb comparison, but I think I enjoyed Game of Thrones more than I enjoyed this mm. as a for doing what it's doing, which is like entertainment. I feel like what this is doing is entertainment factor uh, in the medieval kind of setting. It's right. like a, it's not it's, it's not fair to say the Fast and the Furious, but I feel like that's what I'm getting from it. It's almost like a aren't movies fun kind of medieval thing and the writing and the political machinations I think uh, are are a lot of fun to watch and I feel like I got that a lot better from Game of Thrones than I did from this I think that I enjoyed this more than uh, like a Knight's Tale okay I haven't seen it but sure a Knight's Tale is really fun yeah but it's a lot more like 2001 irony like it's going for something totally different like he has like a Nike swoosh on his armor a Knight's Tale is good fun yeah, and right. and this is not going for the same thing, but I think this is a better movie than A Knight's Tale. Hmm. Okay. It made me realize I haven't seen many like other than Game of Thrones, which obviously ran for like seven yeah. years. Um, I haven't seen many, many sword and horse movies. Yeah, recently. Yeah. I guess well, there you go. We get to get better. Let's go get some more. Hmm. There's think- probably some bullshit that like I don't know had Tom Cruise in it that came out in like 2014 <laughs> or some shit that I just didn't see. Yeah. But it's all right. Yeah. It's been a very low key episode, but that's what we got. Yeah. Next week, we're going to make a woman watch Fight Club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, boy. I'm that's looking be a forward good to it. Looking and then forward I'm looking to forward to spending the entire session telling her that she didn't really get it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's going to be great. Because <laughs> it's kind of just a man thing. Asking her, if she, asking her if she really even knows the Pixies. Yeah, that's Can right. Can you yeah. name 10 Pixie songs? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, here's why Tyler Durden is good and cool. Telling her I'd actually go gay for Brad Pitt. Yeah, totally. Well, wait, we're burning, we're burning our gold. Yeah. But the best bit is that she's. There's she's, plenty more to come. She's not going to listen to this bit. <laughs> no, probably not. We were talking about we were talking about we're how talking much about we hate Shakespeare for, for about half hours. an hour. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Anyone um, with any modicum okay, cool. of class has jumped off this bandwagon half an hour ago. I'm looking at. This is for off pod, but I'm looking at the <laughs> alien box set over there and I really want to watch that whole series well I got bad news for you baby we haven't wrapped up yet so this is very much on pod I would love to do the alien series as uh yeah maybe one or two episodes anyway cool alrighty cool that's all the time we have for this week on Beef Station there's been some Hope fucking you're... guy with a loot playing for, <laughs> for four minutes now furiously <laughs> some fucking renaissance version of classical gas that's yeah. been going for 15 minutes yeah. uh, that's all we got uh, stay tuned for next week. Let us know what you want us to watch. I feel like there isn't heaps at the cinema, but if there's something you would like yeah. us to watch, get in touch. Uh, our email and everything and what we're going to do next week, as always, is in the description. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. Say you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.